The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Rainmaker FM. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. And we are rolling once again. And uh, welcome to another guest segment of the writer's brain. Um, We're calling this one the fact versus fiction edition where I uh, pick the brain of a neuroscientist about fake news in particular, why we fall for it, why it spreads unchecked and and what we can kind of do to combat it for ourselves at least. Uh, You know, The Writer Files is a nonpartisan show um, in its attempt to explore and survey writers about all facets of the writing life. In the last few months, it doesn't seem like I can throw a rock without hitting an article in my social media uh, news feeds about fake news or alternative facts, especially, you know, on Facebook and Twitter. We've seen stories about, especially uh, politically oriented stories about, uh, for instance, Obama invalidating election results, uh, a, a post that apparently got uh, over a quarter of a million Facebook shares, uh, or Hillary, Hillary Clinton paying uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce uh, $62 million to perform. And of course, uh, a couple of my favorites, Trump sending his personal plan to transport stranded Marines or the Pope uh, endorsing him, uh, for example. But those are just just some political examples. I know there's a lot of fake news out there and it's not new, right, Michael? Fake news is nothing new. And I remember the Trump also removed, was it it Martin Luther King's statue from the office or something? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But, you know, some form of, of fake news has existed probably since the beginning of printed news, including, you know, uh, examples of leaders of the American Revolution concocting stories to kind of stoke the political engine. Um, I'm speaking specifically about like Benjamin Franklin writing some crazy 
uh, or a whole edition of a, of a fake newspaper, John Adams, um, doing the very same thing. But it seems to be on everybody's mind since November. Um, but it seems like it's just more in the news than ever now. Uh, elections passed, um, but it, we, we can't seem to shake it. So uh, luckily, I have asked uh, research scientist Michael Gribko of the Department of Psychology at uh, University of Washington to return to the podcast to help me get some answers. Thanks for uh, popping on to do this, man. Oh, thanks for having me on and another interesting topic to discuss here. Yeah, and I know we could probably talk about this for, uh, as we noted before we hit record, hours and hours, but in the, in the, um, the spirit of <laughs> brevity, um, we'll, just, we'll just launch right into this. So yeah. what, what started this conversation for us? It was that we were sharing a couple articles, I think especially Sean Blanda's uh, um, article that uh, another coworker shared with me about the reason you can't stand the news anymore. And a couple of facts popped right. out, I'll just throw out really quick, that you know, a lot of Americans believe that the fake news problem is sowing confusion. 23% say they've uh, shared a, a made-up news story either knowingly or not. And of course, online news consumption is at an all-time high, especially the younger generation um, kind of overwhelmingly preferring it to uh, print, for instance. Um, and kind of just to kind of sum up what he said there was that, you know, the methods to fund modern journalism are kind of undermining trust in these news outlets right. um, because of this order of operations that it requires to kind of uh, accelerate the reach uh, via social media, mostly Facebook, leveraging and selling ad space, um, using programmatic or automated, you know, advertising technologies, algorithms, uh, the leverage of selling native advertising, sponsored content, stuff we just can't, like for the most part, we can't see the difference of in our news feeds, right? It's hard to, it's often hard right. to tell the difference between something yeah. that's fake, yeah. something that's real. And um, part of that problem is, of course, uh, this great proliferation of uh, biased fake news now. So right. if you want to say something about yeah. that really um, quick. You know, it's not surprising what's, I think also fake news also, we're talking about usually political issues, and that's that's for that's what I was focusing on. Um, and the reason that we accept fake news or, or fall for it is largely, I think, because political issues generally carry so much emotional weight. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about these the emotional components of of our thought process and cognition and the impacts our emotions have on that before. For sure. In a number of episodes. Um, but yeah, this got, um, I found some research that was done oh, about 10 years ago. Um, a couple of guys, or a couple of people, Hyann and Reffler, I think their names were, and the name of the article is When Corrections Fail, The Persistence of Political mis Misperceptions. Yeah. And this doesn't talk exactly about fake news, but what they look at is Basically, they show that when people have a very strong political belief, that it's very hard to change that person's belief. So even when they're presented with um, corrective information, they still um, will remain with their original belief. And then they even found in some instances that corrective information had the opposite effect, actually strengthened these persons, mis yeah. these people's misperceptions. For sure. But yeah, I think a lot of that weighs in yeah. to these being very emotional issues. And, and we think about the issues. A lot of these 
are end up being life and death issues, things like war, um, death penalty. Um, there's health issues, you know, just our perception, self-perception. Healthcare is a big issue now. Yeah. Um, so they have a lot of emotional weight. Um, For sure. You know, and you know, I think pointing back to kind of how all this came about, um, you know, there's there's been some great studies into how false stories during specific, specifically the presidential campaign were spread on Facebook, monetized by uh, Google AdSense, um, right. by Craig Silverman was on Fresh Air. Um, he's uh, of BuzzFeed News. He spent years studying media inaccuracy, and he did a, a great study with Ipsos um, and BuzzFeed. But you know what they were seeing in the run-up to the election was just this great proliferation of these fake news articles, specifically uh, aimed at this campaign. And uh, they saw the fake news actually overtaking the real. Right, uh, that's scary. Yeah, the real yeah. news. Um, outlets in popularity and they, they were trying to figure out how this happened but there was no question um that they resonated with people as you say you know these are things that are kind of scary they stoke right. that um again you know we've we, you and i have done episodes on storytelling empathy creativity um and writer's block specifically i'll link to all those episodes but um yeah. some great s- stuff there but obviously the, the you know these these well-told stories are resonating with people a lot of the times it's just scraped content um but it's getting this enormous reach through these uh, algorithms yeah and then uh you know i'll point back to a great episode on rainmaker fm where our ceo uh brian clark on uh unemployable chatted with news curator um uh, next drafts dave pell um about fake news and you know he says specifically trust in the media has never been lower and the new norm of social content content distribution allows fake information and fluff to go viral. Uh, and that just kind of amplifies the skepticism, right? Um, right. As you said, it kind of, it, it kind of <laughs> works inversely almost. Right, um, right. And Dave said, you know, that the ability to spread that news and to make that news look more real, whether by design or sharing it on social media, makes it more dangerous and prevalent. And he, he, thought, he thinks that the bigger problem is that people actually believe it. Um, right. So there's that kind of the confirmation bias, yeah. lack of fact checking. So people are just like what scan- scanning headlines and then you know sharing because they have more social right. shares. The algorithms propel them, so on and so forth. So anyway, it's kind of scary. But you know that final that final uh, factoid from BuzzFeed News and the Ipsos poll was that 75% of American adults who were familiar with a fake news headline uh, viewed the story as accurate, even though they'd been debunked. Right. So I think that's it gets back to this emotional thing um, and this emotional link we have to a lot of these issues. And that makes makes it very easy for us to sort of take the bait, if you will, when we encounter a fake news story. And and it comes down to that we actually process information differently when we're in an emotional state yeah. rather than another coherent, you know, our cognitive state. And yeah, there is research that that supports this. So there's a lot of research that's been shown just that emotions can change our cognitive behavior. And we sort of switch kind of impulsive decision-making to, um, to impulsive decision-making from a more kind of, um, I don't know, coherent and analytical state. Mm-hmm. And emotions have this switch. So there is actually another research article came out by Sam Harris. And this was really recent. This is... Um, I sent this link to you. I think you um, looked at it. This is Sam Harris and 
came out in December 2016, so really recent. And um, it's also an open access article, so I think everyone should be able to get get to, get it and read it. Yeah. But the title is Neural Correlates of Maintaining One's Political Beliefs in the Face of Counter Evidence. Right. So it's similar to the article we we I discussed first, and it was a similar paradigm where where individuals had very strong political beliefs and then were presenting counter evidence to those beliefs. But then he took it another step and he, he, um, just regular beliefs they had non-political beliefs and looked at those and presented evidence against those beliefs. And he did this while he was monitoring their brain activity in, um, MRIs. Mm -hmm. Um, so I won't go through all that. We talked about the MRI a number of times. Um, Right, <laughs> but basically, you're you're looking at blood flow to an area of the brain. As a bl- blood flow increases, we're inferring that neuronal activity increases. And he found, or Sam Harrison's team found, that challenges to political beliefs kind of shifted activity into what he called the default mode, mode network. Mm-hmm. And this is, um, as it sounds, it's more of that impulsive network. Um, it's kind of a disengagement from the external world and more internal. So you become less receptive to outside stimuli and information. Okay. Um, but then the non-political beliefs, he did not see this change. So the hmm. areas of the brain that are um, more higher in analytical cognitive function remained intact, um, activity there. Yeah. But he also found something really interesting. So... Individuals who did tend to change their their beliefs had um, less activity in a couple areas, the amygdala and the insular cortex. And this is important because these two areas have been associated with high emotional states. Mm-hmm. So this kind of makes sense that, you know, it's, it's some good evidence that, yes, we are, in fact, political charged issues are in fact eliciting an emotional response into a, in us. And this may change, this response may change how we process the information. And this could be an explanation why we take the bait so far, or so to speak, with fake news, that mm. we're not using our higher reasoning skills and we're just kind of looking at something that fits with our, what we already know, our more impulsive behaviors. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was a little stud, uh, a little scary. <laughs> um, right. That, yeah, it's this easy. Um, and then there's more studies, too. Um, I think that there's also something known as the framing effect. And I'll try to pronounce this this name. Yin Hi Xia Lo. I think it's a Chinese name. But the um, name of the article is Neural Basis of Emotional Decision-Making and Trade Anxiety. And here they go on. These, he's not necessarily looking at um, political issues, but just um, decision-making in general and finds that how the information is framed, so the context it's put in, will influence how we make our decisions. Mm-hmm. And this is really getting to that closer to that fake news and misleading news. Based on another another study done in MRI, and individuals had to choose between two different conditions. So, for instance, they had to do a, a small word problem and decide which is greater, which which um, option to go with, A or B. And so, like, for an equal condition, you'd have, um, like, the negative effect. The negative framing would be, if you choose this, you'll lose 20% of 100. 
Mm-hmm. And then the positive condition would be if you choose this, you gain 80% of 100. So they end up the same, but just the frame is different. So the absolute amount's the same. Right. And he played with those variables. And, you know, I found that the framing effect would change the, the negativity mm. when people succumb to the negative effect um, and, and avoided the negative. Um, even if it was the better choice, or even if the, there was a shift in the how they processed information, yeah. and it was similar to the shift we saw before. So again, the frame, just how you word the information, can cause this emotional response and a shift in brain processing and in processing of information, and different neural networks are used. Yeah. So yeah, we can easily be misled, and once our emotions take hold. Yeah, we can have changes in how we process information. For sure. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction, And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. I think, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a lot to unpack, but you know, kind of in layman's terms, I mean, Circling back to kind of the storytelling piece, you know, obviously why a lot of this stuff goes viral, Craig Silverman was saying, you know, is the how it's presented. Um, right. So that post that were, say, included a meme or a video, obviously were uh, more far more widely shared um, than just, um, you know, basically. Right text but in-depth news piece right yeah and those are those are easy ways to get into people's brains right because they're fast they're easy they're they're shareable and that's kind of and you uh, think about it they're probably using this this more impulsive area of the brain yeah and there's no way to fact check a meme or fact check (laughs) (laughs) it um you know i linked to a couple articles i sent you a couple articles about you know politically motivated reasoning or how some political 
party supporters are willing to lie to preserve their uh, ideological right. identities. That's pretty interesting. But um, yeah, that Yale law professor explained um, in a study uh, for the advances in political psychology that people who score high on this kind of political, politically motivated reasoning are, t- you know, they tend to be partisan, very partisan. Um, we kind of all, all are all in our bubbles, right? Um, but then when confronted with evidence to the contrary, it often makes people kind of, again, cling more firmly to their beliefs, right? On these controversial right. topics, especially. And that was that other article I linked to that shows that using science in an argument makes people more partisan as well. <laughs> uh, kind of goes hand in hand. So right. this b- behavioral economist uh, at Yale, Dan Cahan, um, spent a decade studying whether the use of reason aggravates or reduces partisan beliefs. Um, and his research showed that aggravation easily wins. And that kind of plays right, right into your yeah. right into your research that there. We're slipping into these default mode networks when we process the information and it makes it very very difficult to to uh, process new information and even accept it or even give it a chance, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So the process called biased assimilation, you know, we're, we're talking about cognitive biases and uh, confirmation bias. People will selectively credit right. and discredit information in patterns that reflect their commitment to certain values. So, right, right. Yeah, again. Yeah, confirmation bias is that, you know, people search for information that confirms yeah. you know, their view of the world and, and ignore the information that doesn't fit with that view and their beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that fits right into all this. And, and when we're in that emotional state, you know, this, like the studies are showing, we, we get in these heightened emotional states and the information, the way the information is presented influences how our brains process and incorporate this information. Yeah. And this in turn can influence the action we choose to take from that. Um, so, you know, this is a good example of information <laughs> being processed using different neural networks and when activity say shifts to more of these we see more activity in the emotional networks or areas the amygdala for example um we start to fall victim to the framing effect and and go for those memes and and short little snippets of information instead of in-depth articles yeah Uh, right Uh, it's it kind of makes one's head spin, of course. I do say that often um, when I talk to Michael. But um, <laughs> are you saying that the human brain is flawed? <laughs> oh yeah, it's tremendously <laughs> flawed. <laughs> it is. It's um, yeah. It's a, it's a crazy thing. Um. But, you know, going back to your point about the emotional resonance of certain content, for instance, I don't, I can't think of a more emotional election. <laughs> right, right. You know? So, we're, yeah, so it, it's been a very emotional election, very polarized. So I think we're all very susceptible to this. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, our brains are flawed. Um, we, how we perceive information, it's, it's, it's not great. You know, our perception <laughs> of the world isn't always accurate. Right. And I mean, a very easy example of this are just optical illusions. You know, um, yeah. that's just your brain not working correctly. Oh, wow. I remember, you know, growing up, I thought like the coolest thing I remember the 
this Porsche came out and had the rims on it and it looked like the wheels were spinning backwards when it was going forwards. <laughs> right. And you know, that's not true, <laughs> but that's just your brain not working. And these are really simple things. So when you get in these more complex issues, I think we, we can fall victim to, to, um, fake news and our perceptions may be off. Yeah. Um, and I think this is why fake news is, is so damaging is that, it really starts to distort our sense of reality um, because we get multiple realities depending on your news sources. Um, mm-hmm. And that's my big fear of, of all this. There's, there's a number of implications and bad implications from fake news. Um, yeah. And one, you know, we're just a, we're a democracy. Um, you, for a democracy to work, you need a well-informed um, public that has accurate view of the world and is getting good information. Um, but I think fake news and this distorting our sense of reality can really wear away at our society. Um, and it gets back to, um, empathy and theory of mind, which we talked a lot about in storytelling. And I think fake news can start to erode some of these relationships that are forged from this. Um, The Sam Harrison article I mentioned earlier has a pretty good intro that describes the importance of of empathy and shared emotional um, experiences in forging relationships with each other so we can work together and build societies and and build skyscrapers and, and all these amazing things we do together. And as I think about it, you know, just our perception of reality is really based on sensory information that is highly processed and often incomplete. So these shared emotional experiences, the empathy, help us serve as a check of reality. So I'm thinking if you insert fake news, it really disrupts this. So if I have an emotional response to a stimulus and I can see that you have the same response, then it helps validate my sense of reality right. and my perception of it, so I know it's accurate. So when you use fake news, it really disrupts that. I'm like, hey, this is my view of events, and it makes me sad, and I look over at you, and you you have a happy reaction to this. What's going on? Right. Um, I think a, an example, let me just kind of, imagine someone's walking down a sidewalk, and they slip and fall, and they hurt themselves, or that's how I see it. I would be upset. But then if all of a sudden I look up and I see everyone else around me is laughing, I know my perception is off or their perception is off, right? So mm-hmm. then I realize that when I talk to someone, like, what's going on? Oh, it was a big gag. These guys are just joking around all day. Um, but now let's switch it up a bit. Say I got some information and someone told me, oh, I got some fake news. Someone said, hey, I'm going to push this person. It's just a joke. They're going to fall and like spill everything they're carrying. But it's just a joke. Don't like it's gonna be really funny. And this happens, and I start laughing. But it wasn't a joke. This person ends up really getting hurt. Now everyone else around sees me laughing, and the person's really hurt. I end up looking like a jerk. I think that's that's kind of how fake news works, right? Yeah. We're kind of getting this where we tend to have the wrong emotional response in someone's eyes. Yep. It's contrary to what they think we should be having. The emotional response we should be having. And yeah, this fake and misleading news could erode this kind of these relationships forged by empathy. And this is because individuals start having very different responses to events that have carry a 
very strong, heavy emotional component to them. Um, so that really worries me that that this can end up fake news because end up putting a huge rift in society by tearing apart these these relationships. I mean, it's it's interesting and it's frightening to hear you say that. At the same time, um, and you know, as Maria Konnikova, um, she's a contributing writer at the New Yorker and author most recently of the book The Confidence Game. It's a great read. Uh, I'll link to uh, her episode with me on this show. She said recently. In, a, in an article for, I believe it was The Atlantic, that the distressing reality is our sense of truth is far more fragile than we would like to think it is, as, as you yeah. are, as you've noted. Yeah, yeah. That's um, especially, especially in the political arena, and especially when that sense of truth is twisted by political figures. Uh, and as 19th century Scottish philosopher Alexander Bain put it, the great master fallacy of the human mind is believing too much. Fal- mm. False beliefs, once established, are incredibly hard right. to correct. Right, and that's 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 you know been proven in, in studies as well that you know once it, once a lie is introduced, um, you have to actually accept it as truth in order to uh, take that second step to um, you know make the conscious effort to reject it. You're right, right, right. Yeah, um, and that can be hard to do, right? Um, well, if you, yeah, but that's and, important to. I think move on like how do we get out of this rut we're in as yeah. a society yeah. and i think yeah another article i think you passed on to me was from the atlantic and it was um how curiosity bursts our political bubbles and that yeah there's one quote in there that basically says that and i thought that was a really good way to uh, approach how to combat fake news and mm-hmm. the quote was curiosity seems to be the pin that bursts our partisan bubbles yeah um and yeah, you got once you have to stay active um, and realize, <laughs> yeah, realize we're in bubbles and start looking for other news sources. Um, you know, start looking for we, we, you know, we can name, you know, certain certain news outlets are have biases. I'm sure we can also jump to mind. Go to the other news outlet than the one you normally go to mm-hmm. and try to read it with an open mind and not slipping into that emotional state that we were talking about earlier. Try to stay in a more um, coherent analytical frame of mind. Yeah. Uh, but that can be hard to do, but I think we owe it to ourselves as a society. If you want to make this work to, to take these steps. For um, sure. For sure. And you know, we have some other uh, tips I think I'll, I'll throw in maybe closer to the, to when we wrap on how to kind of <laughs> stay right. vigilant. But yeah, I mean, there's some scary stuff happening, especially around Facebook, which I think, you know, we could just yeah. touch on quickly. That's a great, great way to frame information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Facebook specifically and psychologist uh, Michael Kaczynski, who developed a method to analyze people in minute detail based yeah. on their Facebook activity. So yeah, this is a peer-reviewed paper. It's a science, scientific research. Um, but yeah, I think it was Motherboard. There was an article on it. And then the, the um, peer-reviewed paper was private traits and attributes are predictable from digital records of human behavior. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was pretty scary. He, he based our, on our online profiles, he was able to construct a pretty accurate personality profile from people. Right. Um, and then in turn with, with these advertising agencies and marketing agencies and politically political marketing agencies who can buy this information, um, 
Yeah. Well, now this can kind of serves as a manual how to push our buttons and frame information for a specific group of people. So specifically, they proved that on the basis of an average of only 68 Facebook likes by one user, that they could predict anything. I mean, this is crazy. Skin color with 95% accuracy. Sexual orientation with 88% accuracy. Affiliation to Democrat or Republican parties with 85% accuracy. And it didn't stop there. They covered intelligence, religious affiliation, uh, (laughs) drug use. Uh, these could all be determined, and they could they basically, with this, you know, just a, a simple questionnaire and these likes, could can basically pinpoint exactly who you are. They they almost know more about you than you do, right? Yeah, right, right. And uh, oh, and it's interesting. I think it's Mikhail Kaczynski. Um, if if you look him up, you can. I think on his. I forgot what universities with, but you can actually go and take the test. You can, I did it. <laughs> Put in my, <laughs> just a uh, link, link in my I was, Facebook I was profile. <laughs> and yeah, it came up. Um, I thought it was pretty accurate. Um, yeah, it's really scary. Um, we're pretty much open books. We're not as uh, mysterious as you believe we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, in the, in the wrong hands, that information can pinpoint exactly what kind of, uh, you know, fake news to fake news to you, you're yeah. looking at. <laughs> they yeah. can promote it, and, it. Yeah. yeah, sponsor it and get it right in front of you. Right. And you might yeah. not notice that it's sponsored or. Yeah, right, right. Uh, that's kind of scary. Yeah. Um, well, you know, that, that psychometrics piece with the, uh, with the big data, um, I don't know, you know, I guess, you know, the, these platforms have to have to do something themselves. And, that, and that's part of the part of the problem, probably part of the solution, right, is how are they going to combat this at, say, a Facebook right? Um, I don't know. W- without, you know, creating further, um, I guess, uh, further bias and or without um, suppressing um, information, <laughs> right. Free- yeah, freedom of so speech. It's a, it ends up becoming a legal issue. Um, yeah. yeah, and of course, they, they, they are no... Uh, strangers to legal issues they've been sued no. in the past for you know privacy stuff so you know it's a big it's a big can of worms i mean it really is you know can we get the toothpaste back in the tube probably not um and <laughs> right. you know between the algorithms and the human uh curators there um it really is kind of uh you know just going back to this distrust that's been sown double you know it's just a double-edged sword it's a breakdown right. in discourse um and the harsh truth of good journalism re- really is like that it's expensive uh fact-based um unbiased journalism is expensive and uh it doesn't have a great return on investment sadly right right but we're um, not trying to address that fix for the industry right, right. well I'll, i think yeah we we need to be a more i think information i don't know prone society if you will or yeah. or respected society or we need more respect for information and yeah i think that would help out um well if nothing especially else, in these instances um you know we just see the more our emotionals emotions get involved in these things we, we're, we you know yeah. we're using more of a default mode network in our higher order reasoning areas of the brain are kind of getting turned off and mm-hmm. this um you know will eventually succumb to these fake news um but hopefully shining a light on just the fact that it exists uh, right. will make people more vigilant. So. And I think that's really important is is the solution, I think, is going to come back and it's going to be you know bursting that bubble what we were talking about earlier. And yeah. people have to realize that they're being 
you know, manipulated through fake news and misleading news. And I think once we turn that corner, um, then maybe it'll, we won't have to get into all the legal issues as much and have the courts decide this for us and <laughs> tell us what to read and what not to read. Right. Hopefully society will just figure this out ourselves. Yeah. Ourselves and, uh, yeah. Well, I like, I like, uh, John Avalon, managing editor of daily beast and a CNN political analyst, uh, is, is reminded, uh, us on, I think it was Bill Maher's show that there is an objective reality, you know, lies are always right. going to be lies, but you know, we do need to stay vigilant. We, but lest we get to descend into this Orwellian, uh, two and two make five world. But, um, <laughs> what, do you want to, do you want to cover a few more, um, you know, maybe some solutions, uh, that we can throw yeah, out there between um, the two of us? We're not going to solve you know, the I, crisis. Yeah, yeah, we already, you know, the curiosity, I think that's really important. And, and just realizing, I think that's when people, when they read news, yeah. you can tell when you start getting emotional and be aware of that. Um, start tuning into that and being like, okay, I'm not using my analytical brain as much. Um, yeah. And yeah, try to stay away from those emotional states. Um, and then stay away from news reports that, they play on that, you know, um, try to stay away from the very partisan rhetoric. If you feel there's a lot of it's, it should be fair and balanced, right? The news. And I think I just stole someone's line there, (laughs) (laughs) a certain organization's line. Uh, but you know, it should, it shouldn't have a bias, but it's really clear when they do and, and realize that and try to stay away from it and then do research. Like I said, go in and find more than one news source. Yeah, and then don't repost stuff. If if yeah, if you know it's if you know it's not right, or check it before you. Man, that's a good rule. Before you post stuff on Facebook, get multiple sources. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. Well, there was a a good. Uh, there were some helpful hints p- posted right around the election time by um, Nick Robbins early. Um, I think it was HuffPo, but uh, you know, read past the headline <laughs> Ch- right. before you yeah. before you just click right. share because you like the uh, incendiary yeah. uh, headline check who published it you know yeah uh click through um see if it's a reputable news source check the published date and time it could be from years before right that's a um, good one yeah. who's the author is it a real person uh yeah. are they are, have they written other things right. that were incendiary check the links and the sources they're using you know and that's that these are hard things to do if you're in a hurry yeah. you know right, in our right. short attention span Not world has that much time right um but you know be, be being wary of the confirmation bias is a really yeah. good one, and it's uh, yeah, it's so hard. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah. Um, especially that I mean, we can get in a whole nother episode on confirmation bias and why it works. But basically, yeah. there's reward mechanisms in our brain that when we find something that fits previously held beliefs, our brain is happy with that, and we get a little reward. We become approach motivated, which we talked about before, and continue on that path. It's like confirmation. Our brain realizes that, oh, we did good. Um, I think there's also, you know, I'd like to see, I think journalists do a pretty good job um, in in the major news organizations. Um, And most of the journalists I've interacted with take their job seriously and and try to be um, transparent and and not have a bias in their writing, especially, you know, news writing, opinion pieces sometimes are different, editorials. But they need to stay aware of their emotional stance and, and try to make this make sure that doesn't bleed through in their writing and how they report the news. I don't hear from editors much. And I was wondering, I mean, I'm not familiar with the process, but I think one of the things journalism has going for it 
is the editorial review. I think this is a very important part of it where editors, the facts are actually checked. There is a fact-checking process. And this is kind of similar. Science has a similar thing. We have peer review. It's It takes a lot longer, but yeah. we can't publish anything and, and get our grants funded unless other scientists look at the work sure. and, and report on it. So I feel like that's sort of the role of the editor. And I would like to know, <laughs> I think it would be good if, if, if for the news organizations that are trying to combat this, for the editors maybe to come out with a statement that that's clear to all of us, just explaining their vetting process for news. Um, sure. Maybe come up with a rating system. You know, this source we use is iffy. Um, this source we used is really good. We've used them many times. And these are the credentials. You know, some kind of way to vet how how's the information vetted and how confident are they in the information and sort of a mission statement of what they look for in true news. Yeah, you know? For sure. Yeah, and in this day and age, you know, scraped uh, content and um, bots and um, right, you know, just the ability, the, but also <laughs> the ability to just publish with the click of a button, right, out there on a on a you know server in Macedonia, right. and send uh, news that looks just incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's right. so scary. So we definitely need to innovate in the area of both human and algorithmic detection yeah. for misinformation. I think that's where editors really come in and having yeah. a statement from editors of these major news organizations for coming sure. out and saying why they're different, what they do to check their news, and maybe the journalists as well have something that you can easily access on their website or something just to look at you know, why they're different, what makes their news good. Um, Definitely. I love it. And I want to talk to you, uh, journalists as well. So um, there might be a, a part two to this where yeah. I actually have um, some journalists on to uh, yeah. discuss your findings and, and our talk. A couple of things I will point to before we say goodbye. Uh, there are some rumor trackers. One is called Emergent. Um, that is actually a real-time rumor tracker, part of a research project for the Toe Center Digital Journalism at Columbia University that focuses on how unverified information and rumor are reported in the media and aims to develop best practices for de de debunking misinformation. Um, so you can go, I'll link to that, Emergent. And then um, Snopes.com also okay. founded in 1995, I believe. Uh, so with 20 years of experience as a uh, professional researcher and writer, created Snopes. Uh, David uh, Mickelson created Snopes basically to do kind of the same thing to track uh, rumors and debunk them or confirm them. So those are a couple resources I will link to that are, you know, just good for in this spirit of curiosity and staying curious and vigilant, you can use to just see if something's yeah. true yeah. or not. Yeah, do some homework. Do some homework. Come on. <laughs> this you? is important. No one likes apart homework, the, uh, Michael. <laughs> we're tearing apart the fabric of society, distorting our reality here. With our, with our very flawed, big yes. brains that require a lot of water. Uh, <laughs> so, um, hey, man, thank you so much for coming back and um, illuminating the topic and the subject. I know we've only just touched the surface, but uh, right. it's always enlightening to yes, it was interesting. wrap with you, my friend. So. Uh, to listeners, stay vigilant and curious. And uh, thanks for listening if you've made it this far. Thanks so much for joining us for a glimpse into the workings of the writer's brain. For more episodes of The Writer Files or to simply leave us a comment or a question, drop by writerfiles.fm. You can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.